morning, Grace. Well, thank you for surviving that rain coming in. I hope that the worship alone was worth that. Uh, this past year, uh, a very significant church of great influence and the largest denomination, uh, Protestant denomination in the, in the world, had to confess that they succumbed to a simple thing called mission drift. They had kind of lost their way. Mission drift is when a person or a company or a church takes their eye off the, the details, the specifics of what God called them to in the case of a church or a person. And it's easy to do because it's so subtle that it just, it's called mission drift. You just drift off and lose your way. And this church had done that. And it was during COVID that during that lockdown that, uh, they were forced to stop because the way a lot of people drift from the mission that God called them to is just to get busy. And when you get busy, you stay busy enough, you just veer a couple degrees off. And after a few years, you're way off. Well, during the COVID lockdown, they uh, required everybody to, for the most part, stop the busyness. And so the church leadership, just like some people, individuals did and families and corporations, they said, is this, is this where we're supposed to be? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? How did we get lost and how do we get back? And that's, that's what they experienced. This is the, from the sermon, they, uh, their bit of their confessional. They said, uh, we have focused too much on, on reaching out and growing wide and not growing deep. Mere outreach is not what Jesus told us to do. And then they quote the passage we've been looking at for the last few weeks and continue to do. He said, Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them. And said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of this age. He continues, we can't be a church that just counts conversions and baptisms. The command is to make disciples, and not just make disciples, but make disciples that make disciples. They drifted away from that and just tried to get as many people in the church as possible. Well, what's the purpose of Grace Covenant Church? What's the vision that we live by? What's our prime directive? This is it. Now, words have kind of changed over the years, but the meaning has stayed the same. It's the lighthouse that we strive to see in the storms of life because trends come and trends go. This is the beacon that we, that we call our North Star. We say this, that the purpose of grace is to glorify God by guiding people to become like Christ in all of life. To glorify God. To glorify God, you just do what he tells you to do. And when Jesus conquered sin and death, he came and said, all authority has been given to me, make disciples of all nations. That's what he said to do. That's what we're going to do as a church. And today we're going to look more closely at one of those uh, phrases, those participles that give more meaning or specifics to what it means to make disciples, where it says, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. We saw that last week, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So at Grace, the purpose of our church is to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. So what is a disciple? <laughs> That seems like an easy question. We've looked at that, but it means to become like Christ. It means to become who you were meant to be, to go back to the original design of who you would be back if you lived in the Garden of Eden before the fall. 
And discipleship is the process of becoming like that. It's becoming like Christ. Look what Jesus did with the men and women that followed him. He absolutely changed their thinking. They went from primarily, if you look at the early life, they're just thinking about only the physical world that's in front of them. And Jesus is teaching them to think about the spiritual world that's around them first and then the physical world. He teaches them how to have appropriate emotions and not to be consumed with the problem right before them, but rather be consumed with the fact that Jesus is in their presence and maybe there's more to whatever that problem might be. Even in their will, their their volition, to common men and women that were cowardly and turn them into courageous. All of that, they, they were becoming like they were meant to be, like the way they were designed to be, becoming like Christ. Now, we've added at, at this church, become like Christ in all of life. We've added that, and we've done that for three reasons. One is our culture compartmentalizes. <laughs> uh, we, we, it's, we, can, we can compartmentalize even our Christianity. We can say, you know, we can have a reputation at work as being a godly person that's, that's patient, and then at home, not so much. Or maybe we could have, you know, an expression of, of our Christ-likeness at home where we are tender-hearted and long-suffering, but at, home, at work we're just a bully. We can do that. So we say all of life, all expressions of wherever you go. Another reason we say all of life, become like Christ in all of life, is we talk about the entire soul. It's intellect, emotion, and will. Sometimes we can just look at the intellect like we're at trying to win some Bible jeopardy thing. And that's not what that intellect means. And emotion, having the appropriate emotional response to circumstances around us and will having the courage to obey. Another reason we say become like Christ in all of life is there's, uh, they say, about seven seasons in a person's life. And each season has its own expressions of living by faith. And unless we grow in our understanding of who God is and who we are and his power and his love, then we have to grow and apply those newfound expressions of faith as we grow in in the seasons of life. So in other words, in your season at 20, your life with Christ is different than your seasons at 50. And yet if you don't do that, you stall, you you stagnate, your faith becomes planned and, and it's not vital anymore. So all seasons of life. I like what Dallas Willard said about what a disciple is. A disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. (laughs) Wherever you go, in whatever season of life you're in. Listen, the most important task in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. The most important task of your life, your experience, your existence, is not what you do, it's who you become. And Jesus said you need to become like Christ. You need to become like him in all of your life. So in, in summary here at Grace, we are out to help people become like Christ in all of life and help you guide other people to become like Christ in all of life. It's a, it's a life skill. <laughs> it's a holistic expression of who you are. Think of it this way. Uh, here's an example that I think we can grasp is learn to become a powerful swimmer. Actually be able to do all the things a powerful swimmer can do. And then train other people to become, become powerful swimmers and do all those things powerful swimmers do. 
that's a, that's a life skill, but if it's true, it's really an identity. I am a powerful swimmer in many circumstances and situations. Now, we can understand that athletically. We want you to learn how to overcome some kind of addiction in all that that means and all that's in its actions, and then go and help other people, guide them to be overcomers of whatever various addictions. So you can see it's in a, in a physical way, in a soul way, we're doing this as well, body, soul, and spirit. Become like Christ in all of life. It's a different person altogether. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, when we're looking at the passage today, it says, and teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. That's an attribute of a disciple. How does God make disciples? How does, how does the Bible show us ways that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to obey, how to obey all that he's commanded? How, do, how, do we actually, how does God actually do that? I want to look at that today. There are three elements. If you look at it, it's pervasive in the Bible from beginning to end. This is how life change happens in the Bible. Three essential elements. The first one is spirit. And when we say spirit, we mean the Holy Spirit. Real life change, it's a miracle. And when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you take and you put your faith that Christ's death and resurrection was at the expense of your sin, and then you receive his righteousness, when you inherit the righteousness of Jesus, your spirit comes alive and your soul is cleansed to the point that now the Holy Spirit can, like, one, like indwell your very soul. It's, the Bible says it is sealed, which means the Spirit will not leave you. And then the Bible says also that the Holy Spirit empowers you, gives you power to change. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit of God, <laughs> the third person in the triune Yahweh lives in our spirit to work and to change us. But here's the thing. An attribute of the Spirit of God that you need to learn to fear. That the Spirit is polite. The Spirit of God is allergic to pride. The Spirit will not come in and like take over your life. He he will ask permission. He's looking for people that are surrendered to his power. It's unlimited ultimate power, but it's tempered by if you want it. He won't grab your steering wheel of life. He'll just, you want to drive? That's fine. Doesn't barge in. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Yahweh, has to be asked. He, you, have to, you have to surrender to him. <laughs> you have to say the words, I, I quit. I want, I want to just obey. And the way we can apply that even today is just pray that prayer. Just pray, I quit. I give up. I, I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. It was the last song we're going to sing. We could sing it like it's a prayer. Your will, your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You, you reign in my heart. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed. Want life change? Become like Christ in all of life? Learn to obey all that Christ has commanded? You need the Spirit, and then you're going to need truth. 
Truth is the second element here because you have to have truth that's found in the Bible and it is applied to everything <laughs> in our lives. Our values, our, our habits, our temperament even, our traditions, everything is scrutinized under the authority of the Bible that tells us what true truth is. It defines what is right and real and true. Whatever it says is true. doesn't matter what we think or feel about it. So the idea is applying that into our lives in various ways. A good example of a truth that's pervasive in the New Testament is our identity in Jesus Christ, that something radically changes in who we are when we receive forgiveness. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received rather a spirit of adoption, sons and daughters now. And that way we cry, our spirit cries out, Daddy, Father. We call Yahweh Daddy, Abba, Father. And then he continues. The spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We're, we're at the same level of inheritance as Jesus Christ because we've been adopted into the Father, in, into the family, the Father, Yahweh God. He, we get to call him Daddy, and that's a fact. That's true. That's who we are now because we have the righteousness of God within us, the righteousness of Christ. But most of us, we apply a, a lie to that. We look at ourselves as... Uh, figuratively, like costume jewelry. We think that, sure, we have this shiny veneer on the outside. Jesus, you know, we want to look good for him. This is what he's doing in our life, is cleaning up our lives. When in, and the, the, the essence of costume jewelry, if you know, it, it's cheap metal, if it's metal at all. It's, it's fake. It's not even, it doesn't have real value. And we think we're, we think we're sinful to the core and just have this pretty exterior. But the Bible teaches, no, it's an inside-out change. Those, that passage there declares that we are co-heirs, we are fellow heirs with Jesus. Uh, back to the illustration, it would be like we're, we're tarnished silver. Tarnished silver is ugly on the outside, but valuable on the inside. That our absolute essence is the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the ugly stuff isn't really even us. Paul says, like, I no longer sin, but it's the sin that dwells in me. The real Paul, now the saved Paul, he's saying, is silver, sterling silver. That's the real nature of who I am now, fellow heirs with Christ. And this sin is just the tarnish that's working its way out that needs to be polished off by the Spirit of God. I mean, that's an example of a truth in the Bible that we have to come to believe. And we have to fight for the truth. It's not easy to change serious programming in our minds. We have, to, we have to look at every, we have to think about our thinking. But it's violent, friends. I mean, look, look, at, look at the military and the violent words that are being used here when, when Paul writes in the Corinthians. He's telling them to think differently. You got to know what the truth says. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish, we demolish arguments and Every pretension that has set itself against the knowledge of God, truth. And we take captive 
every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Even our thoughts are obeying everything Jesus commanded. He says, take every thought captive, grab every thought. It comes into your head, you hear something, you say, you sit down. You know, I'm taking you captive. You've been living like you're ruling my life for the last 17 years. Now sit and answer to these things. Answer to this. How do you stand up against the knowledge of God? Is it true? And if not, I will demolish you with the truth of God so that, he goes, it's purposeful, so that every thought comes into submission and to obedience of Christ. We have to have truth and we have to submit to that truth. But we give, we, give, we give power to lies. We live our lives in submission to things that aren't even true. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's a process. Truth is part of this equation for a purpose. We can't be giving all this power away to things that aren't even true. Now, certainly, I mean, two major influences in in our lives, who we are, are how we were raised and how we're made. But so what? It's easy to go back and say, well, I was, I was raised a certain way to believe certain things, and that has power. But good grief, you're not 17, you're 37. It's been 20 years since you left the house. <laughs> how about you take those lies and take them captive and see how they stand up against the knowledge of God and, and bring them into submission to the obedience of Christ. Start working your way towards those filters. Spit on the grave of the lies that you've been living under and, and how you're made. Well, this is, some people just surrender. Well, this is just how I am. Like, you need to learn to live with that. And Paul would say, the Bible would say, that's not submission to truth. Is that the way you were meant to be? So, Acknowledge, look, this could be the greatest challenge in many of our lives because that programming is deep, acknowledged. But listen, in some respects, the the farther down your experience has been, the greater you have to rise, and God has a great redemption story in your life if you just turn that over to the power of the Holy Spirit now with truth. We have truth that comes from the Bible, and when the power of a yielded heart towards the Holy Spirit, man, that's going to be an epic story in the making. That's a life changed. That's a disciple of Christ that hopefully is guiding other people to become disciple of Christ. The formula for becoming like Christ in the Bible is the Spirit of God that lives inside of us, the truth that is found in the Bible, and then last, relationship. Relationship. If you want to live for Christ, you want to become like Christ in all of life, you want to learn to obey and enjoy all that Jesus commanded, you're going to need a friend. You're going to need some help. People that have had life change have someone that helped consistently. And I'd even say this, that the, the nature of a human being is wired, designed by God to enjoy purposeful relationships. In other words, God made us to have intimacy, have community, to enjoy one another, and to need one another. I want to just try to prove this. I can show you this physically. 
that our soul needs friendships. One way is uh, there have been studies done where they're just looking at uh, brain studies, electric brain studies and also chemical brain studies, where they looked at groups of people that had close connections and people that didn't. And they looked at the nature of those brains, the physical, not the mind, but the brain. And they found out this, that people that had friendships, deep connected relationships, just thrived, thrived in their life. Here's some attributes. The performance in life was enhanced. Creativity and problem solving was multiplied. Energy levels and immune systems were increased. Recovery from sickness and illness were cut nearly in half if they had someone to enjoy life with. Dr. Henry Cloud, who, you know, specializes in relationships, wrote this. Your brain runs, it's the creative, the way we were created. Your brain runs on three things, oxygen, glucose, and relationships. Somehow this invisible thing like love and connection ends up having its way in the physical results of our brain, actually growing new wiring and, and makes everything fire and everything work the way it was supposed to. That's physical proof that we need friendships to make life work. Now, here's my favorite one. I've said it before. No apologies. It's a great story. They took a monkey. And they, this is just to show the power of friendship. They, they got a monkey and they stuck him in a cage and then stressed him out. They literally rattled his cage. Then he put strobe lights just to throw them off, and then crazy noise, you know, loud, you know, heavy metal music. I don't know. But the point was to traumatize that little monkey in that cage, try to scare him as much as they could. And then they took brain chemistry levels, looking at the hormone levels within the brain, and also looking at active MRIs, looking at the electrical works that are going on, and they found out this, this brain was shifting different, like, emphases on different parts of the brain. It went to fight or flight. And in a stress condition, fight or flight means like turn down or turn off other parts of your body and then increase certain hormones that cause different things to happen. And that's why people that live in long-term stress end up getting pretty sick because those other parts of your body or parts of your brain are neglected. Point is they could prove that the stress level that this little monkey was experiencing was showing up in electricity and in, and in brain chemistry. That was part one. Part two, let's see what happens if we do the same thing, but add this other element. It wasn't medication, it was his best monkey buddy. It was his best friend monkey buddy from you know the big cage. And so they put both of them in the cage and they literally rattle the cage and they put on the strobe lights and then they turn up the acid music, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then they look, they're looking at brain chemistry levels. They're looking at uh, where the synapses are firing. And guess what? Stress levels in monkey one dropped in half, right? Same monkey, same situation, half the stress level because he had a buddy. He had a monkey in there with him. Misery does love company is the point. I think misery needs company. And if you want to become like Christ in all of life, you're going to need a monkey. That's, I mean, that's science. Yeah, powerful, purposeful relationships. There's power in purposeful relationships. 
Even in, in the book Atomic Habits, love the book, you should read it. Uh, and it's just about how to do life change, like simple habits that you form and how to do that. But the author said lately he, in an interview, he said, I wish I would have written so much more on the power of purposeful relationships because purposeful relationships is the key to change. Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, he said it like this. Two are better than one because they have good return on their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls he's in that cage all by himself and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one little monkey keep warm all alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. After Solomon said that, Socrates said something similar. And Aristotle, when he wrote a book on ethics to, for his son, you'd better make good friends, he said. And history continues. Jesus taught on friendship and the importance of that. And then Paul wrote, you know, bad friends corrupt good morals. Paul, St. Paul, known for his heroism, afraid of nothing. It's on a mission from God. And his mission from God is brought to a stop, a halt, because he was lonely. Paul was called to a certain place, but he had an affectionate and purposeful relationship with his young friend Timothy, and he'd been without Timothy for too long, and he just said, I can't go. I need to, I need to wait for Timothy, and he didn't show. I'm going to go find him. Paul reroutes himself based on his great relationship with his young friend. Here at Grace Covenant Church, it is our hope, and we structure a lot of things around that hope, that if you're married, that your mate is the most purposeful and intimate relationship you have. But it doesn't end there. It's our ambition that each and every person that calls Grace their home would find one or two people that would have a purpose in their life, and they might help guide each other to become like Christ in all of life. A really great friendship. God's formula to make us like Jesus Christ and to teach us to obey, help us learn how to obey what Jesus commanded is spirit plus truth plus relationship. That's how God does it. Here at Grace Covenant Church, we are about making disciples and helping disciples make disciples. We're out to glorify God by obeying him, by helping and guiding people to become like Christ in all of life. What? What is your plan to become like Christ? How are you going to do what he wants you to do? I, I'm, I'm just saying here at Grace, you know, a couple weeks ago I told you how we did things. This week I'm telling you why, because we combine those two things. Here at Grace, we have four different, I guess, uh, ministry venues, gathering options for each and every person to enjoy. But each one of those venues, each one of those opportunities, guess what? We intentionally bring the formula that's found in the Bible from God, spirit plus truth plus relationship. I don't know if you have a plan, but we have a plan. I don't know if you have a strategy, God has a strategy. And we here at Grace, we do them together. Now there's weighted average for each one, but let me just review our, our big church 
It's spirit plus truth plus relationship. Spirit happens. We're all singing together in community with one another. Truth is being told up here. We teach through the Bible in a way that's application-oriented. And again, the weighted average eh, relationships, it's hard in this venue. But that's why we encourage you to each and every person here to like look at your seating arrangement. Everybody around you is brought there by God that you would pray for people to come sit next to you. That you'd pray for people when you come to church. And, and when they're just, you know, three guys down on the left, I'm just going to pray that for that guy right now. I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to do it. Look for opportunities to meet and greet one another. Maybe be part of guiding people to become like Christ, bringing them up to the front of the, of our, you know, greeting center and introducing them to one of the pastors or leaders in our church. So even in big church here, in spirit plus truth plus relationships, we're going to have Holy Communion in just a few minutes. It is a spiritual event energized by the Spirit of God, instructed by, and we're going to obey Jesus to do it, but it brings us it's an ordinance that brings us supernaturally closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't, I'm not even sure I understand it, but we're going to do it, and we enjoy that. Aren't you come to church <laughs> every week from now until Easter and experience spirit plus truth plus relationships? Another of our, our, our gathering times, our communities, our courses, this is magic. This is relationship heavy in many respects because now we, these life stages are like people in, in the, like monkeys in the same cage, right? We're all going through life in the same way, the same experience in a lot of ways, experiencing the same stresses. So we have relationship connection there and we bring in truth that we apply the Bible to that season of life. And the Holy Spirit breaks out in those classes many times when people just open up and are vulnerable with the whole class or their table and they just say, hey, here's life for me. People gather around and pray for them. Maybe you, you could experience that if you came to our, our community. Because we try to bring all three elements into each one of those. Our small groups that break out throughout the week and are in living rooms all around. Yeah, that's relationships heavy. That seems easy enough to apply. And the Spirit invades those because you can only learn so much sitting in rows. But boy, the magic happens when you sit in circles. And the magic that's the Spirit of God, inspiring some people in that group to bring truth. Now that I really know who, the, who you are, I, I can say things like, you're believing a lie. You should take that thought captive. Quit quoting your mother and start quoting Jesus. You know, bring that into your life. Be transformed by this truth. I'm going to help you. I'll be that monkey. Let's go. That's what happens in small groups, spirit, truth, and relationships. Even in service here at Grace, serving in the various ways, <laughs> a lot of times people get connected in relationships, and that leads to right, truth being told and spirit being involved when you serve other people. He likes that. <laughs> and just review a few weeks ago, like all of these cogs working together purposefully in their core curriculum and, and with this expectation of what God has planned to make life change, Spirit and truth and relationship, look how it all works together. You have a plan? We have a plan. You have a strategy? God has a strategy. We work the strategy into our plan. This revolutionized my life. Years ago, I was in a particularly difficult, critical season of life. Uh, 
late 30s, early 40s, oh, the grinding years. I mean, you know, it just seems like little kids all around the house, career, home, no matter what you're doing, you're not doing a lot of things. And there's just this perpetual like fever of guilt that you just simmering guilt that you live with. But it's compounding because every day, every week, wherever you go, whatever you do, you're not doing things you're supposed to do. It just keeps getting worse. And in that season of life, I used to meet with four other men on Sunday morning, and we were just serving the church by doing a college and a graduate, graduate school ministry. And we'd meet at 8 o'clock in the morning because the only time we could get together before church even started. Got here at 8 to 9 to get ready. And uh, we also uh, allowed us to not have to get the kids ready for church. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, the, the guys love that part. Uh, anyway. But the point is we're all in service together. And we're trying to be disciples and become like Christ in all of life while we're guiding other people to become like Christ in all of life. And in the context of that service, like we're in spiritual relationships. Spirit of God is working in our lives and we're adding truth to our relationships with each other and enjoying connecting with each other. And like one of the big issues in that season of life is guilt of things not doing, of things not getting done. We all had projects at home. I mean, we added this barn raising thing once a quarter. Once a quarter, you went to somebody's house. They had all the equipment and all the materials ready, and we would come and do whatever. I'm telling you this because I was reminded of it just this week. We, we floored one guy's house. Another guy's house, we cleaned top to bottom so they could, you know, show it and sell it. In my house, I wanted a tool shed built. And I was looking at that tool shed just this week, and I looked at that, and I'm like, look at that. In that entire little bitty simple shed to hold a mower and a couple ladders. There is not one thing on there that's level or plumb or square. It's like it's in like an impressionistic tool shed. And I was looking, but I, I was thinking about, well, I got to redo this and do it right. I mean, I'm not sure even how the water gets off of the roof of this thing. And I just thought, I'm leaving it there because I remember we spent all day on this. And it's how guys connect, honestly, shoulder to shoulder, making stuff. And it just reminded me of the affection that we had for one another during the grinding years, that whole season where we just loved hanging out and being purposeful in our relationship as we brought truth into other people, in each other's lives, and we watched the Spirit of God change us from selfless little victims having pity parties to men who rose up and put their shoulders back and did what was required of them. It was a great season. I couldn't have done it without serving. I asked you about a couple weeks ago, I'll ask you again, where are you going to be in five years? And it's not the importance is not the, the importance in life is not the task of what you do, the important task of life is who you become. Where are you going to be in five years? And a better question is, who are you going to be in five years? Because I'll tell you this, you won't be where you are now. You'll be more like Jesus Christ or you won't even be like, you can't even look like him. Do you have a plan? Because we have a plan. Do you, do you have a strategy? God has a strategy. We've used God's strategy and our plan. We'd love you to join us. And I'm asking you, like I did a couple weeks ago, how about you do something extra? Why don't you make a commitment to, to 
take a next step, to yield to the Spirit of God, to start taking thoughts captive, every thought captive, to commit to a good, deep friendship. Pray that God would bring you a great friend. And you could express that ambition by making a commitment to come to big church from every week from now till Easter. Join a, one of our, our connecting communities. Get involved in a small group. Serve here at Grace Covenant Church. Figure out a way to become like Christ in all of life, to be who you are meant to be, how God designed you. Who'd you be if Jesus were you? <laughs> what are you going to do? Choose. Make a choice today. What are you going to add or subtract to get on board with God's plan for your life? Let's just pray through the outline, okay? Let's just pray through the outline. Become like Christ in all of life. In the context of God's supernatural spirit that lives within the soul, the spirit of every believer, the third person of the triune Yahweh, I say to you, I quit. You change me. You take control of my life. Your will, your way, you do whatever you want. You come, you move, you reign. Your kingdom needs to invade my heart. I surrender. I give, I'm done. In the context of truth, Lord, I, I desire that your spirit would help open my eyes and think about my thinking. And I'd, I'd take every thought captive. I'd make it surrender. I'd demolish the lies. I'd make my thoughts obedient to Christ. I want truth to reign in my mind. Spirit, I'd ask that you'd help me inventory my friendships and, and help me understand what are just friends for fun. That's good. And friends for purpose, awesome. But I need friends for purpose. My soul, and I, and I know between maybe between here and when that friend shows up, there's a desert of loneliness. I will cross that desert. I want to be a friend. I want to be someone's monkey. Oh, I need a monkey. Dear God, help me with this. Lord, I'd ask that you would help each and every one of us become like Christ in all of life as we guide other people to become like Christ in all of their lives. And as a church, we're a church known for making disciples because you said so, that we would enjoy obeying all that Christ commanded. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the context of community and spirit and truth, my friend George is going to lead us in communion.